My name is Matt Brown. Well, it's been an unreal year for the 49ers and just a shame with the injuries here in this one. But make no mistake, the Eagles have been the best team in the division, in the conference, I should say, all year. The Philadelphia Eagles are going back to the Super Bowl. And let's start the show. Here's Butker. Everybody, the world is a better place because you are here to join us. My name is Matt Brown, and I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast. It is Tuesday, January 31st, 2023, and we have a lot to talk about regarding the AFC and NFC championships. But before we talk about these games that are completely different from each other, I just want to remind you to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show on ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com. And don't forget to check us out on the world of social media or on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast, Twitter at ProdConvoPod, or on TikTok at Productive Conversations. And thank you to Dolo Ren, aka Alex DeJesus, for producing that content for us. So the AFC and NFC championships took place on Sunday. We had one game where the 49ers literally deteriorated in front of our eyes, seeing multiple quarterback injuries, and then a Eagles defense that was just pounding, pounding, and pounding some more away on them. And ultimately, the offense woke up for them, and they ran through the 49ers. I find the word beatdown as an understatement when it comes to this matchup. But Philadelphia defeats San Francisco by a score of 31-7, and the Eagles are back to the Super Bowl for the first time in five years. And then we had a back-and-forth AFC championship between the Bengals and the Chiefs, even if the referees had a major influence on this game. And trust me, we are going to get into that. But the back and forth game ends with the Chiefs winning 23 to 20, and they get to their first Super Bowl in two years. And Patrick Mahomes has a chance to win his second one for sure can really cement his legacy. Three Super Bowls in five years. Now try to win another one, Patrick Mahomes. After all the fun and games, the Super Bowl is set. Super Bowl 57 is the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Kansas City Chiefs. And we are definitely going to get into it and cover each and every aspect of the two championship the two conference championship games. And then next week, we will preview the Super Bowl once and for all. So we have a lot to do, a lot to get into. This is show 196. So on our own road to 200 podcasts, we will then talk about the closest step on the road to the Super Bowl. The conference championships are done. So let's get into it. The productive NFL crew is here. Alex Ranellio, Brian McKeon, and Alex Young. It's your guys' turn once again. Let's talk all things AFC and NFC championships. Here we go. This is a very productive conversation. Conference Championship Sundays in the books. We had two games. They were completely different from each other. One was a true slaughtering and blowout. One was a back and forth game that may or may not have had official influence and of course we're going to go through all these those two games back and forth talk about the super bowl ahead and i'm um, gonna have a lot of fun soaking in this afc and nfc championship which will be remembered for various and different reasons but let's get to it the crew is here alex ranelia brian mckee and alex young what is up my friends how we doing everyone how we doing what's going on back gentlemen let's rock and roll as I said, this was a big week in the NFL Conference Championship Sunday, and it was a tale of two different games. So let's get to it right away. The first, at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, we had the Philadelphia Eagles take on the San Francisco Giants. The Eagles won by a score of 31-7, to and they have punch their ticket to Arizona and they will be representing the NFC in Super Bowl 57. So there's so much to take in. So I think the best way to discuss it is going one by one with these various subjects. Same with the AFC championship. 
So no need to recap the game as a whole. It will just naturally go its way. So let's talk about the AFC Championship. First things first. Brock Purdy, the guy who came up, became undefeated, Mr. Irrelevant, leading his team to the NFC Championship, ultimately led to an injury in the game thanks to the uh, pass rush of the Philadelphia Eagles. The four-string Josh Johnson comes in. He gets a concussion. Purdy ultimately comes back, but it comes out that he tore his UCL, a ligament in the elbow, and he is now sidelined for a total of six months. So if he doesn't we, need surgery. Yeah, exactly. So he it's they're saying he might need Tommy John surgeries, mostly associated with baseball. Um, so a lot to take in, and we'll definitely get into the quarterback fiasco of the San Francisco 49ers on a later pod. But for this specific game where the spread was really close, where even though the 49ers definitely had a challenge ahead, some people really felt that they had a chance, whether it was just all the talented surrounded uh, Purdy as well as a stellar defense. I thought the 49ers can be in it, but of course, like I said in the first quarter, Brock Purdy gets the um, break. Brock Purdy has the elbow injury, throws that interception. And correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't in that drive the, what could be the infamous Devontae Smith one-handed catch. Was it in that drive or right before? I did have the time to go back, but I think Uh, it was two two series after. Okay, okay. It was relatively relatively close after that moment, yeah. Okay, okay. So, obviously, in an alternate world, if, you know, the 49ers challenge that play and it shows that it clearly wasn't a catch, and even Devontae Smith said, hey, we got to snap it so we can get away with it. So, you know, there it goes for those people who say, you know, anyone's trying to get a leg up. But, yeah, Hassan Riddick is the one responsible for breaking his UCL and – um. It clearly set the tone for the rest of the NFC Championship. So I will ask the daunting question, gentlemen. If Brock Purdy doesn't get hurt, is this a completely different game? And did the 49ers have a chance? Yeah. Uh, in my eyes, yeah. I was just talking to my buddy who is a diehard Eagles fan. And we agreed. We Just the way how the Eagles looked, they probably would have overcome them and, and one, I think they would have been the four and just how they looked, but it would have been a way closer game and a way more entertaining game. And it's kind of, to me, it was kind of like when we see the justice here with like the Mike White and Zach Wilson thing where like they mm-hmm. played so hard for, for, you know, Mike White, but then Zach Wilson comes in and played for team. Same thing with Josh Johnson. Nothing against Josh Johnson, but everyone trusted Purdy his last few weeks. He got the team's respect. And then you have Josh Johnson get thrown into the equation and throws the whole rhythm of the team off. Yeah, um, and he looked scared out there. Yeah. He was not ready. Yeah, he was not ready, and, um, you know, it's unfortunate for him. But, yeah, I think the game would have been a lot more competitive. I think it would have been a lot more fun, but the Eagles just honed in on knowing the quarterback could not even throw the football, and all they had to do was bottle up Christian McCaffrey. So I don't know if they would have won the game, but I definitely would have thought it would have been a lot closer and a lot more fun yeah. game to watch than what we got if he didn't get hurt. It makes just it, it. It really bums you out, and I know in the group chat I said right away this game is over. Mm. Whether that was mad about my wager that I knew wasn't going to come true, or just this, you know, we've seen this story play so many out so many times, especially in football, especially in that old adage: if the quarterback is hurt, you have no chance of winning. And well, look what happened. It's really the truth, you know. If you think about it, you know, they were down to their third string quarterback who ended up being a flat, you know this very good player in Brock Purdy. And then they go to their fourth string quarterback and Josh Johnson, like, what do you expect? Like uh, like a fourth string quarterback, you know, even if, you know, Josh, Josh Johnson's been around the league for more than a decade now. He's a very serviceable player. He's had good games. He's had some bad games, but you know, when you're not with the number one offense, all practice the entire season, where do you expect that rhythm and chemistry to come from in the NFC championship game? And then he gets hurt again, which is just, I've never seen a team lose four quarterbacks in an entire season before. It's absolutely mind blowing. I don't know. Maybe like they have to look into the training staff or something like that. Like, Mm -hmm. where's the, where is the health, the health and training staff of the San Francisco 49ers with all these injuries right now? Or is it just horrible luck? I, I don't know, but you know, I think that, they were completely shocked. They couldn't respond. And when your defense is on the field that much, 
you know, no matter if you're the best defense in the league or the worst defense in the league, you're going to get tired. Mm-hmm. And that's what we saw in the San Francisco defense. Um, uh, Bosa got knocked around the ton. I was mm-hmm. actually shocked. I think he played his yeah. worst game the entire season, in, in my yeah. opinion. Not he a didn't, good time he was, for that. <laughs> he was, even, if, even if Purdy was there, I don't really don't see the, the 49ers defense really playing well. They looked arrogant going into it that they're the top dog. And like yeah. I said last week, I, my opinion, I knew Philly was going to beat them regardless if Purdy was in or not because – Philly's defense is the best pass rush I've ever seen. You know, they compare it to the 85 and the 84 Bears. This is the best defense I've ever seen. Like, there's no reason why Hassan Reddick isn't for isn't for defensive player of the year with the amount of sacks he's had this season and an impact um, on this team. He can, they, you know, the 49ers off, offensive line that we talked about it being one of the best in the league completely got washed the entire game. Constant yeah. pressure, no run game. So, I don't even think if Purdy was in if it would have really done a difference. I just think they were completely um overwhelmed by Philadelphia and they didn't have they didn't have an answer. Because even when he even, you know, the couple of drops he did play before he got hurt, it, it didn't really look good, in my opinion. I didn't see anything crazy. Yeah, it's hard to imagine what could have been with the situation being different at the quarterback. Obviously, like you guys kind of hit everything. But you know, I think really what it boils down to is Again, you know, the San Francisco 49ers defense being so exhausted very early on in the game. Um, obviously, they had two touchdowns in the second quarter, and I feel like that was just more of a product of being able to extend drives at their will um, for Philadelphia. But, you know, not being able to um, continue to move, you know, move the chains and just, you know, relying on three and out, three and out, three and out. You know, these guys can catch their breath. And in, in addition to not being prepared, um, you know, like you guys hinted at, I think it's just a matter of um, just a, a matter of coaching. And I thought that, you know, Nick Sirianni didn't take the home field advantage for granted. Um, he took, you know, full advantage of, of the situation at hand and, you know, that, that has been, you know, the, the, the quiet uh, strength of Philadelphia all year has been that defense. We always kind of uh, disregarded it, at, you know, how potent it can be because of how good that their, uh, their run game is and, and how, you know, lethal the Jalen Hurts could be in play action. But, um, you know, some of their biggest bread and butter is their front four. And then those ability to have shut down corners um, on one side of the field, I think is tremendous. And, it, you know, they, they weren't asked to do a whole lot. But like you said, you got you got standout game, uh, game from Reddick and, and a few other guys and uh, they punched their ticket. And that's it. I have to ask this question. Kyle Shanahan, he has led his franchise to three of the last four NFC championships, winning one of them and was leading in the fourth quarter of that Super Bowl to ultimately lose. We know that he has been known to not be able to close out games, whether it's this or being the OC out in Atlanta or, you know, being part of that tremendous tree in Washington and all that. He's, Obviously, a football lifer, clear football guy. But after this situation in game, I've seen people say, you get us so far, but what's the point? Fire him. But, you know, everybody should get fired, um, according to people. Uh, But I think it is a legitimate question now at this point. How do we see Kyle Shanahan at this point? And I will bring up what was said earlier and Brian said, is this a matter of bad coaching that he's doing or him leading his personnel or is it just crazy bad luck for this franchise who has won five Super Bowls before? So who knows? That's why I'm asking you guys. Yeah. So like, I think he's a, I think he's a good coach. Um, Like he won, he, they went undefeated with a third string quarterback was the last pick in the draft that year as a rookie. Um, in, in my opinion, you know, we talk a coach of the year and stuff like that. No coach of the year candidate had a third string quarterback go in and go undefeated and almost make a Super Bowl run. Made a Super Bowl run and got, you know, lost because of an injury, you know, in the NFC Championship game. In my opinion, he's coach of the year on that regard alone because to have that just shows, um, in my opinion, being prepared at any level of the depth chart. And that's a coaching thing. When you have a third string quarterback being that poised and have all those intangibles already set up. Yes. That's his, his party on him being a student of the game, but it's also coaching at every level. That's not just focusing, focusing on QB one. 
And, you know, there's a lot of coaches that only, you know, focus on the starters. And then, you know, the bench guys, they sit on the bench. They never go in. You know, they don't get their reps. They don't get, you know, they don't get a little special attention. And you see a third string uh, quarterback play like a, you know, a $30 million a year quarterback, top 10 of the NFL this season. So I think he's Definitely done a wonderful play. job. Yeah. You know, I think he's done a wonderful job at, at coaching the 49ers. I think what comes down to is, you know, the adjustments. You know, good coaches to great coaches are those halftime adjustments, even though Peyton Manning doesn't believe in them, or just being able to drop, shift on a dime and figure out what to do. You know, you had a dominant running game with CMC and Debo Samuel the entire year. Where'd it go? Debo Samuel. Everyone loves Debo Samuel. Six catches, six carries, uh, negative nine yards, and then three catches for 33. You know, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe do some outside run plays more, you know. You know, everyone's going to focus in on the box, tackle the tackle when you lose your quarterback. Change it up. Jet sweeps, you know, get out there. You know, you have Kittle. He loves the huge thing with Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson's a running quarterback. In my opinion, I would have left Purdy out and kept Johnson. If You know, if, if Josh Johnson was able to play, you know, if he didn't get hurt with the concussion, they would have done RPO, read option. You could throw it out to a quick toss to Kittle that, that they love doing where they just motion him and you get like a, almost like a run off it, but it counts as a pass. You know, you have to change it up. You're this guru on offense, you know, like a Sean McVay Jr., you have to be able to be dynamic. And I didn't really see the Kyle Shanahan that we all know him as his dynamic play caller once Purdy went down. Because in my opinion, if you have a good enough offense, you shouldn't have to change your playbook once you lose a guy. You should be able to just put a new piece in and be able to run with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't happen. Yeah, I, I agree with what, what Brian said. It's I, I lot things a little bit of bad luck too, but – there's moments where you need to adjust and, and, and figure everything out on the fly and not having your guy, you have to make, do what it takes to make Johnson successful. And it didn't look like that was happening early on. I know he got concussed, but then you have your quarterback who can't throw the ball because he has a torn UCL and he's just in there toughing it up. Then you have to be creative. And that's what we don't know what Shannon is, is, is being creative. And he wasn't. And I don't know if it was just because he was shell shocked as much as the team was. And this, you know, before uh, the Eagles just took advantage. And, you know, at that point, it was like, all right, it is what it is. We'll see what we do. And, and it sucks if you have to pack it in that early, but maybe that was the thing. And, but he shouldn't. It's the amateur championship. You got to make adjustments, and he didn't. Um, but I don't think he needs to get fired. I'm not going to go that dramatic. I think he's has a couple more years left with San Francisco. Uh, I also think he just needs to find his guy that he can latch on to for years and not be this rotating thing, right? Where it's Garoppolo, yeah. but Garoppolo's not going to get you to hump. Okay, well, it's Trey Lance, but Trey Lance got hurt, so what's going on? Now you have Brock, you know, it's like, it was just a pinball thing, right? And and to me, it's kind of this like Andy Reid situation where, you know, he needed the right guy and he, you know, he had a bunch of success in Philly, but then he leaves, goes against, he gets Mahomes and he, you know, has this guy that he can now coach for 15 plus years if he wants to stay in coaching. I really think that's what Shanahan needs and not this constant carousel of who is his guy. And he has to figure out who that is. And I know, you know, Purdy's going to be on the shelf for a while. So who knows um, if he, he's going to pick him or see if it rock with Trey Lance. But, uh, he maybe at this rate, who knows? But you know, I think he just needs to find the person that he can grow with, like Andy Reid did with Patrick Mahomes, in order to get over the hill. And I think that's what Shanahan needs. And if he does that, I think the 49ers will have a bunch of success. But again, it's tough with him because he has three different quarterbacks to choose from every other year. Uh, and he has to just figure out the one that he wants to rock with and grow with and stick with that guy. Uh, and if not, quickly yeah. move on and try to find the next one. But I really think. It's too early to say fire him because he just keeps on having this quarterback carousel. But once he locks it in, I can see the 49ers have a bunch of success, which is just how good of a coach he is. I don't think you could think have made a better though. example hmm. of just a, a, a person. A, I'm sorry to interrupt. You're saying? No, you're good. No, I think they're in trouble this offseason, though, because they, you know, Trey Lance was like, had a losing record as a starting quarterback, yeah. and he's coming off injury. You know, most likely, I'm assuming Purdy's going to get surgery. That's like a year, Tommy John, right? So then you yeah. don't have him until late in the year. So, like, are you going to sign a free agent quarterback? No, in my opinion, I think Purdy's your guy. You know, you went to the NFC Championship with him. He's better than Garoppolo. Um, he's shown to be better than Trey Lance. Do you decide to roll the dice and give Trey Lance another shot? 
like the first eight weeks of the season, mm-hmm. like 10 weeks of the season. I, and, you know, if you, yeah, it, it might be a lost season next year for San Francisco where they oh, go, yeah. you know, out of the playoffs and just get a good pick. And then Purdy's back. And Remember, help. though, with this. Or they can get their guy. But yeah, also they, they have to improvise because they gave up those first to second rounders for CMC. Wait, I thought yeah. it was a second yeah. rounder. Sorry, sorry, sorry second, second rounder. rounder. No, they yeah. didn't. You're right. Yeah, so the second like, rounders. You know, but again, so you know, that comes in first. Yeah. What happens? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, you could get Brady for a year. That might be a great option. You trade Trey Lance to like a team that's looking for a quarterback. You, you probably recruit the first with Trey too. Someone would probably give up a first. Yeah, one, exactly. Maybe. I think they give you get a second. You get a second, yeah. second or third. At least a second. Yeah, yeah, you get at least a second. Second but... or a third, depending on the team for Trey. You sign Brady for a one-year deal. And then, you know, if it doesn't work out, you got Purdy on the third-year rookie deal. It's not really like not a – it's it's a bad – you know, it might be bad that season if it doesn't go well. But, you know, they have so many questions. It's actually – yeah. yeah. So, so I, I actually don't really see the Brady – the more that I've been thinking about it the past few weeks, the less I see Brady as a prospect in San Francisco just because of the dynamic that he has – relationship-wise with quarterback Shanahan particularly. I think he's looking more, like you guys said, of his guy, opposed to having this one-year hiccup that may or may not work out and then scrapping it. Because right now their window is open, and I think that they can extend that window, that winning window, if they're able to acquire and get like you know a blue-chip first or second-round pick for Trey Lance. Because in reality, I think, like you guys said, Brock Purdy is the guy, even if this is a lost year. And he comes back late into the second, um, late into the second half of the season. Um, I think that the real, the real reality is that maybe they re-sign Jimmy for one year and have him be the starting guy because of their relationship and rapport with the locker room. And then, and then you usher in Purdy basically like six weeks till the end of the year. Um, you know, assuming that he's on schedule, but. Right now, the, the 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 iron is still hot. I think that they just got caught flat-footed traveling, um, you know, away from the West Coast. We we also forget that they've been essentially in the same time zone for three months. So I think traveling and not being prepared and ill-equipped. I mean, it's certainly no excuse from their perspective, but um, it definitely played a role in this game and the outcome. And I think that Philly's just confident, and cocky at home. I mean, like I think moving forward um, with Shanahan, my biggest criticism has always been that he alleges to be this offensive guru, and it seemed that he just had no answers in adjusting for this game. It's one thing to have the defense getting tired and being out there for too long, and you start trading possessions in terms of points and whatnot, but that's no excuse to not be productive on offense. And for me, it just boils down to an inability for him to be able to insert even a subpar guy like Johnson. Just you got to get some kind of ball movement. You got to run some things like to Brian's credit. You have to be able to change up uh, the gameplay. And because, I mean, similar to the advantage that Brock Purdy had about six, eight weeks ago, no one had tape on him. No one had tape on this kid, even if he looked a little gun shy. So I think that that has to play as an advantage into Shanahan. And he has to know full well as well that injuries are a reality in this league. And he's learned that the hard way at the beginning of the season. So I think he had to have been better equipped with his backup heading into this game. And then my only, you know... Also, Jimmy G was laughing on the sidelines a lot when caught. I wonder if uh, if anyone's going to yeah. read, read into that, but um, <laughs> it would only make sense to to uh, have a one year quarterback, a a uh, sign a quarterback to a one year deal with the uh, possible future at hand, recovering from his looks like season and a season long injury. And again, like I said, that's more for later on, but. Um, to have those kind of discussions, but we'll uh, see where San Francisco goes. And just quickly on the Eagles, um, what really stuck out in this game in particular besides what hasn't been mentioned yet, whether it's how lethal the pass rush was, how the running game, the running back by committee was all being utilized effectively to Jalen Hurts feeling comfortable out there to um, realizing when both players are on point, AJ Brown and Devontae Smith are quite the tandem. What else did the Eagles do that really impressed you in this game? Just comes to the pass rush. That mm-hmm. defense, like yeah. that front seven is the best. I'm going to continue to say it. Their front seven is the best front seven I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I think they, I think they wash. They, they are leaps and bounds above the Giants defense that won those those Super Bowls in the uh-huh. you know mid two thousand. They're better than the 
Broncos that won when uh, DeMarcus Ware and Von Miller were there. I've just never seen, you know, they had double-digit sack leaders at every position at the defensive line. That's unheard of. You, they had 40 sacks combined between their four starters at the defensive line. That is and they added to it in the middle of the season, Crazy. too. With and the they Dominic added to it. Yep. is an animal this game. He got, yeah. he got right in front of William's face at the end of the game and said, you are my bitch. And that was amazing. Yeah. I he really it. gets on the right teams at the right time. He does, of course. Right. He always does. He's always good at that. You, just, you read the market, you're a valuable guy. He's like, Why would he want to play for an entire season? You know I mean? <laughs> like he's gonna be in the Super Bowl now and he's gonna retire. Good for him. You know what sure. I mean? But uh, yeah, they they played really well. And I gotta give you know kudos to Jalen Hurts. Like this man is just built different. He doesn't seem stressed out. I've never seen a quarterback not stressed out like in an MC championship game. He was confident, he was poised. I don't think any offense really played good on both teams, um, per se, except in the running game for the Eagles. Well, I guess the Eagles offense really didn't have to do a lot, so that, that's why I look a little lackluster because, you know, when you're getting the ball near half the field, all you really have to do is have a couple of run plays and you're almost at the end zone. So, uh, yeah, they did well. And Devontae Smith, I don't know. I think Devontae Smith is better than A.J. Brown after watching him in the, in the first series. I think the man has a better – He's a better route runner. I think he's a better 50-50 ball guy. A.J. Brown might be a bigger player, but Devontae Smith just is him, and I I cannot wait to see him flourish more on this offense. That was long arms, huh? I guess um, getting benched in the national championship halfway through, and if you get the opportunity to stay in the league, will really humble you. <laughs> bench to the national championship and then bench the entire up. next season. Mm-hmm. And then the entire yeah. next season, he watched Tua, and then he left. Don't bring it up, all right? I'm a Georgia fan. You know what happened when they benched <laughs> him, all right? It's we all know. If you're a college football fan, everyone knows what happened when they bunched him. But um, Tua, you know, got them a championship. Pissed me off. All right, but but that's beside the point. But no, uh, what impressed me? Yeah, I think what everyone said is definitely just this pass rush. It's just relentless. Um, they just never give up. They just absolutely crush you um, no matter where you are in the field. They don't care at all. Um, and, yeah, the the Eagles did what I think we expected uh, is they took advantage of a bad situation. They know that their quarterbacks hurt, so they were just gone the attack the whole game and just destroyed the confidence of the 49ers. But, uh, yeah, kudos to that defense. Um, they're really scary, uh, and that's me being a Giants fan. I'm not looking forward to having to face them for the next few years because they're only going to get better, especially with their rookie picks like Jordan Davis, who's just going to be a nightmare for years to come. Um, but, you know, just the secondary on the Eagles are so good, too. I mean, for C.J. Gardner-Johnson, and the Saints got absolutely fleeced. If you look at that trade, it is looking terrible every single day. Um, that dude's had an unbelievable season, um, and they have two pretty much Pro Bowl uh, corners to go with him. So, uh, you know, they're just a, a very, very good team, but their defense is just incredible to watch, um, and that's me being a Giants fan. I hate crediting Philly with anything, but they're just a, just a relentless team, and they're going to keep that going to the Super Bowl. Um, and, yeah, that was the thing that really impressed me most. And like Brian said, you know, Hurts is just continuing being Hurts, um, having this great year. And I wouldn't be surprised if he wins the MVP, but um, he just looked poised and collected, was taking some big shots on his runs later on, but he was just trying to just, like, run through people. He did not care at all. Um, and I like seeing that from him because that dude is showing week in and week out that everyone sleeps on him. And now I'm happy to see that people are finally giving him the credit that he's, you know, long deserved um, because he really does deserve it at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of, you know, how we evaluate the defense and, you know, the offense led by Jalen Hurts and Sirianni, I think it kind of speaks to the chicken and egg theory. It's like, okay, so you're, you're running, you're, you're, you're running down people throats you know leading and spearheading a, a, a lethal offense so your defense is able to kind of take risks and rest on you know their laurels in certain circumstances when they have a healthy lead but i think that um, it really starts from the top down particularly when you have great leadership like this and i think jalen hurts growth uh throughout the season has been tremendous i thought it really showed out um in this game and you know it, it's really hard to um kind of over uh, estimate that kind of <laughs> the downstream effect that it has. So, um, you know, without getting too cushy feely, you know, it's like, I, I think it definitely is like kind of the, 
the hallmark of this team. It's like, you know, he was, he was cast off from Oklahoma and Alabama and constantly was requiring a second chance. And then he took a backseat to, to Carson Wentz and it looks like they won out with his circumstance. So he's, he's used to kind of all that adversity. And I think that that scrappiness and that hunger is what kind of flows down the tree for this, for this entire roster. Well, regardless, the game is over. Philly's going to the Super Bowl. And obviously next week we'll break down more on what they have to do to win this game. So transitioning to that, a game that was somewhat, and I emphasize the somewhat, the opposite of uh, what we saw in uh, the NFC Championship. The AFC Championship was a nail-biter. It was a hell of a game. It was a lot of fun to watch. Now, we can obviously talk about the elephant in the room, how much do the officials play a role in this game. So why don't we start it off with that? The AFC Championship ends with the Kansas City Chiefs winning 23-20. to They make their third Super Bowl in five years. And that ultimately sets up them against the Eagles. And it ultimately set the way they got there was a game-winning field goal by Harris and Butker. And there was a penalty, a roughing the passer penalty when Matthew Holmes ran outside, hit by Joseph Asai, and that uh, only led to what could have been considered a chip shot. And that was one of many penalties. And that penalty in particular was the right call, but... We saw a game with plenty of penalties that were really questionable from the Eli Man Eli Apple hold, Eli Manning holds. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. the hold on Patrick, the holder and Patrick Mahomes' scramble. The third down that was um then wasn't again and then was. Um the th- or I should say like the third down play that wasn't, um, the block in the backs that wasn't called, the alleged um clip that was during Sky Moore's uh punt return that just Blatantly wasn't called, and you can notice it in the replay. There was a lot of missed calls for both sides, and I'm going to throw it there. How much did the officials play a role into this game? And I'll say one thing to start, and it'll be short and sweet. I want the AFC Championship to be decided by the teams, not by the refs. And that's my simple quote on that. What do you guys feel about how the refs played a role in this game? Yeah, I agree with agree with you completely, but I also have the same I agree with you, but I have one comment on this though. Yeah. The Cincinnati Bengals didn't put themselves in the right positions because mm-hmm. yes, they were Fair suspect yeah. they were suspect calls, but they were calls enough to warrant the ref's attention. And like, you know, the Eli Apple call, it, it was it was. It was, you know, what I mean, in my opinion, it was I think it was pass interference. He had a few he had like two mm-hmm. pass interferences, right? Eli, Eli mm-hmm. Apple, I think. Yeah, yeah. I get confirmed yeah. that, but um, you were saying, I'm, yeah, in, you know, inexcusable. You know what I mean? Like if if you have two, even if one is suspect, that means that you're still there's some element of a possible penalty in your technique that is an issue. Um, you know, the Asai play, inexcusable, um, aggravating. You know, not the way to play football. Just a stupid play whatsoever. But then on the other side, you know, that play that happened on the scramble, if you look at the backside, Trey Hendrickson was held the entire play on yep. Pat Mahomes' scam, uh, scramble, and you could see it and see it. And it's, you know, in my opinion, you know, there's, every coach always says there's a hold that never gets called mm. on every single play replay. in the NFL you know, on a replay. But when it's in the front of the of the screen, there has to be some booth review by New York. If you could see it in the, you know, this is entertainment. So where is the window for that? The TV. If you could see it in the TV, my thirty-two mm-hmm. by twenty-four TV, whatever it is, TLC, um, you know, LED TV. If I could see it on that, clear as day, there should be a booth review immediately. That would have been a negated play. They would have pushed back for like a 50-yard field goal. You know, Buck, Bucker is almost automatic, so he probably still makes it. But, you know. You never know. There will be like eight seconds left on the clock, which means that after that field goal, they do the squib. You know, maybe Burrow gets one more play in. So it's just, you know, I don't know. In my opinion, it's, it's very hard to judge, you know, calls because in the moment you don't know how it looks. You know, we have the ability to see it in like a 3D, uh, you know, isolated perspective when, you know, actually being when you're an actual ref and you're only getting that, you know, you know, that one, you know, not, not 2D, but, you know, it's right in front of you. But, you know, you don't see that, you know, angled view that most people see, you know, yeah. it's very hard to make calls. But, you know, definitely 
the play calls here definitely influence the game significantly. It really, it really amazes me how many people want to be officials and refs. And the, as the years go by, it seems worse. They get worse and worse perceptions and, yeah, I must pay really well. So that's all I have to say. There. It does. It doesn't. <laughs> no, yeah, and there it goes. It doesn't. They just like to call games, I guess. They get abused, man. They're, and they're they're pigeonholed in because they have they have the small um, staff of employees that travel with these teams too. Um, Alex, do you want to go first? Because I have a lot to say. Uh, I guess yeah, you have a lot because I don't really have much. But I, I would, <laughs> I would. Yeah, there's definitely missed calls, and we need to get a report on what might've been missed. I know it gets people infuriated, but I know like in the NBA, you have the final two minutes and things that get missed. They get reports. A lot of it happened this weekend. If you look at the league, I'm not going to delve into that, but no apologies were given by the NFL refs. Exactly. Uh, But the NBA, they did uh, for a very big call that happened in the Lakers game, but I'm not going to delve into that. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) I think there's stuff, at least from this game that we need to know what might've been missed. And I know the game was over and it's, awful to try to say like the game was compromised but if that's the case we'll get over it eventually but we need people to own up here on certain things that were missed especially in this game i know the asai one i know that's tough it's a heat of the moment everyone needs to get heat off that guy that guy played his butt off that game um i have a ton of respect for bj hill who's a former giant for what he did in the post game for asai like being right next to him to like come they could be there for him because the media was ruthless on him, but yeah, he made and a his dumb teammate per, What's it? Well, rightfully so. Rightfully, then, yeah. he was an idiot. Yeah, it was just like a bad play, <laughs> and his teammate yelled at him. You know, like why the f were you do? You know, it was a house thing. But I'm happy that BJ Hill took the leadership role to say this kid's young. He worked his butt off, and he made a really bad play. But like, can we get the heat <laughs> off him a little bit? And the kid was crying, like he was still crying post game because you know he made a big mistake. But he's a young kid. But and also yeah. give him credit because he didn't shy away from the media. No, he took he every single question. Yeah, he took every question and didn't take the blame. And I respect him for that. And yeah, it was an idiotic play. He should have known Mahomes is giving himself up. You just don't hit him once he gets into into the, like into the sideline. Just don't do it. It was just a bang bang play. It happens. There's a second. He was just a second too late. It was a bad call and it cost him the game. But there are certain things I messaged you guys in real time on the Skymore return. There was definitely a clipping. I thought there was a block in the back as well on that call, too. I think there was two missed calls on that one play alone. That set him up, right? So there's definitely things that happened in this game that were weird, especially the third down play, the third down play that was not. Then, it was, you know, they got the stop. Then it was, and then you get the reset. Then they get the, then they get the first down. It's it's BS, Madden right? And rewind. That, that, yeah, that was, that was just – that was terrible. And we need, you know, like I said, just a report, explanation on why these certain things were – why it was allowed and what might be going forward. Because I think that's how we are. Everyone makes mistakes. Missed calls happen in sports. It happens across every yeah. single thing. But you have to own up to it. You have to fess up to it that we miss these calls here so that all the fans being going forward can be like, okay, now we, we, next we have game, replay. Super Bowl, we'll, we, we can keep our eyes out for things like that if it's getting called. No, but Mal- Alex, I love you. But no, like we, we have replay. This is the most lucrative league in the whole And that world. too. Yeah, I agree. There's no, there's no excuse that these things continue year after year to keep happening, yeah. falling, you know, right through the cracks because you can't undo these things. These are these are career changing events that yeah. happen, particularly with the AFC and NFC championship. But look, I, look I, at the Saints Rams game. That literally, yeah. But would be in another category yeah. of uh, NFL quarterbacks. And how and, and how long did it take for the NFL to kind of fess up to kind of that one? It still felt like it Obviously. took forever for them to finally be like, oh, yeah, so they we, we missed it, it there. So they, 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 they dodged it like a motherfucker. Yeah. But I want to I want to start with my ultimate conclusion and assessment of the game in its totality and like what I took from it. And then I want to kind of put, parse it apart because you guys all made great points. And Matt, at the outset, you basically outlined every grievance that I had from this game. Um, I wasn't rooting for the Bengals. I obviously hate the Chiefs. I'll just be transparent about that. But <laughs> um, the the reality is this league really, really needs Pat Mahomes in another Super Bowl. They love this kid. They love his image for the league. They love everything that he stands for for this for this team and for that franchise and for the league as a whole. And it it really bothers me that they push certain guys and they diminish certain guys. I'm listening to Tony Romo, and he's literally doing everything except for. <laughs> finishing this guy off in real time with a pearl necklace instead of, and then at the same time, shitting all over Burrow during the live stream. Who is the future of the league? 
Yeah, yeah. My like, opinion. The future of the league, and the other one didn't just go to the Super Bowl last yeah. year. So like, it just fucking pisses me off. And again, it's like the, the the highlight, the quintessential moments of just how they were able to nudge this game and keep it close and keep it one possession was obviously the third down that was replayed, even though they had the sound system fine. They they could see the guy, they could see the ref coming in, waving him off, but he stopped at a fraction of the field. He could have come into the play and cut off the play. Yeah, which and, is what they normally do. Which is what they normally yeah. do. So that gave me a lot of concern because I'm like, why the fuck would they replay this again? Zach Taylor was obviously pissed. Um, and then the second one was that I don't know if Matt mentioned, but I will anyway, is mm-hmm. there was a uh, a review upon a third and like short where there was a guy, I think Pacheco reached out and he was. Oh, short. yes. Yeah. And yep. 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 But mm. it extended the drive and like no one's even like discussing that one. And that was a huge one because it continued to keep that drive alive. And I guess, you know, for those two in particular, in addition to just um, the way that, um, you know, so, some of the some of the holds were called and weren't called and all this and stuff like I understand that there's going to be play, there's going to be holds in every single play regardless. But. You, you really like, you know, if you're going to let these players play in the championship game, you have to call the ones that are relative to the play. And there was very, very partisan selective choice calls in terms of the flags that were thrown, particularly when you look at some of the Chiefs players getting home versus the guys like Hendrickson, I think Hubbard as well, um, that, that basically got there that disrupted the play, but there was no flag called. They got and, held the entire game. The entire, the entire game, game. Them. the entire game, yeah. the entire game. So one guy gets, you know, he, 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 he gets flushed out. He's getting sacked in the pocket five times for the game or however many total sacks there were between Kansas city. But Spagnuolo was able to just play with house money essentially. And the defensive coordinator for Cincinnati was like, you know, he had to like really, really like be, um, uh, be, be frugal and judicious about sending five, and waiting late into the third quarter because he knew that he was going to get burned even with a marginal offense that Kansas City set forward with the injuries. So for me, it's just it's sad to see that these types of nepotistic moves ultimately turn the tides of a league that makes so much money. And it's a shame because, like, I thought that I firmly believe just with the eye test that in the second half, I thought that Cincinnati outplayed Kansas City. I, I thought Absolutely. that even even in situations where they were punting three and out, yada, yada, I thought that they made enough plays to keep that game tight neck and neck. And it, it was just a damn shame to see the way it was decided. It, if it's, it's one thing if a guy makes a mistake. Um, I mean, um, who, who, was the, who was the lineman that had the, the, the call at the end? Asai, the, the DT. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he 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 should know better. I'm not even going to blame the refs on that. That's an easy call. You know, yeah, no, it is. Yeah, and yeah, you can't. Yeah, it's also it. hard, though. It's also hard. Like you got to remember, like this new rule um, of roughing the passer and even like hitting someone out of bounds is what like five years old. Yeah. The one. Yeah. All right. It's so like take. the whole, you know, you got to remember these guys are 25, 26, 27 years old. All right. So yeah. you take out those five years, they've been doing this from like the age of like five to 22. Like, I'm sorry, but like, when, even when I played, like, it was if you could get in a good hit on this on the sideline while a quarterback wasn't sliding, you did it just because, you know, if you're not going to slide, you're going to get punished. That's just the rule. Yeah. That's like, that's like, that's like the, but, the, 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 the hidden circle, rule of playing. But the, but it could also is, be Mahomes' strategy, with, knowing that with that momentum he gets. Oh, yeah, no, a lot of quarterback yeah, strategy yeah, is that, though. Yeah, if I'm, a quarterback, if I'm a quarterback and I'm running out of bounds, I yeah. am not falling. I am standing no. straight up lot, and taking a yeah, crack. Yeah, yeah they, they try to bait it. It's what the quarterback yeah. do these days. They start going but, towards the sideline and then they like, get I thrilled. also yeah. think there needs – I'm a firm uh, proponent of there needs to be some offensive penalty on quarterbacks from incorrectly sliding um, and for going – Ver- going parallel with the sideline and like not parallel and then with the sideline. diverting yeah and then diverting like if you i don't think you're trying to extend yards but if you're gonna do it in a way that you know you're trying to bait a call like how there's like balking and stuff like that and people flop in the, in the nba like we have to have some like you know oh uh, you know uh, consequence for the quarterbacks as well because like as a defensive player, you're just going see ball get ball and if you're still in in between you know the sidelines you're gonna get hit I'm not in favor of adding more taxation on the game in terms of how they assess it. I would rather them revert back to simplicity football, not all this bullshit with like, is it a catch? Is it not just call the game as you see it. And you go in and post in the booth and you figure it out. If you mm-hmm. get the 
wrong. But the issue I have is just the way that this game was decided. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. It's third quarter, six minutes left. They have them dead to right. It's fourth down. And they extended that drive that put them back into um, touchdown range. So it's just it's just yeah. shit like that. That it's just it's so blatantly obvious. And the, and and again, it just bothers me that they have every tool and every you know monetary thing at their disposal, and they're able to still get it wrong. It just it just bothers me a lot. I don't blame you. It's justified. If I can make one one if I can make one quick point, uh, make as like, many points as you want. <laughs> thank you thank you matt thank you so like you know like in the nba like we saw that lebron call right that we don't mm-hmm. want to talk about um obviously in an 82 game season you know will that impact it as much as as you know this you know a football game that only has yeah. you know 17 yeah. games no not that much so my my feeling is this in the playoffs if there is a a completely outlandish call that wasn't the case or a blatant penalty that was the that that didn't get called right that completely changes the course of the game or multiple i feel like there has to be some type of constant co- compensation draft pick there. for the other team i think yeah. that might be a good thing because you know you see the saints rams one right it's the blade and pi call i'm sorry the saints win that game we all know that right in my opinion that should get you a seventh round pick when when the league comes out and says Hey, that was the wrong call. The Des Bryant catch. All right. So what do you, you can't give me back that Super Bowl win. You can't give me back into the Super Bowl. Can you give me that NFC championship win? Can't give me the divisional round win. What can you do? I'm not saying a second round pick or a third that's obscene. Give me a give me a, a seventh or a sixth. If there's enough, uh, yeah. if there's enough of them in the game. So like this game, in my opinion, there were enough bad calls in the mm-hmm. Cincinnati for, against Cincinnati. Yeah, a whole round of pick. Yeah. <laughs> That you you could probably get you could probably get yourself a six or a seventh out of this. You could get an expansion team. I, Literally, yeah. I, I was gonna say, my thing is, and I'm not saying this because I work for the NBA or cap or cap, but or something. Give them money. I agree with getting something, but I think I know that they already have a challenge flag for rulings on the field and things like that. I think if you add a challenge flag for penalty calls, things might be. And it might be tough because it's how the refs saw it. But if there's mm-hmm. someone in New York or someone that you can throw a penalty flag within maybe a certain time frame, the last like five minutes of the fourth quarter, you get one where you can, there's a pass interference, there is a hold, there is a roughing the passer, there is something you can challenge that call because. It, it, you have to somehow hold these refs accountable. And right now, okay, they miss a a catch; they can get that reviewed. But uh, a roughing the passer or or something like that, where we've seen plenty of horrible roughing the passer calls this year, where they oh, yeah. don't get a second chance to maybe just hit the booth and be like, you know what? After review, you know, talk to you or whoever. Okay, and I know I know that's tough to try to do because the flags will be thrown all the time. But there has to be something that is more added to the refs to hold them more accountable because right now they really only have something on like a ruling, right? A touchdown or a fumble or an interception or is it a catch? Is it not a catch? There has to be something to how they're calling the game, especially after this one where there's just so many missed calls where someone could be like, you clearly missed the pass interference. Boom, I'm throwing it. You go look at that and tell me that's not pass interference. And they look at it and be like, oh, wait, okay, we missed it. It holds them a little more accountable to actually calling the game straight. But there has to be something, I think, in place. The the compensation, whatever, but there has to be something where these refs are held more accountable because especially this year, it's felt like officiating has been not great in the NFL. Uh, It's been probably the worst I've seen in a really long time. And there just has to be something (laughs) where these teams yeah, is there something where these teams have to try to hold these refs more accountable? And I don't know if that's putting something in place, like I said, a challenge flag or something. And I know that's tough to judge because the refs made the call in the field and are they going to correct themselves? Who knows? But we've seen it in the NBA, and lately it's been pretty it's pretty good when their coaches travel and the refs hold, hold up to themselves where they say, hold on a second, we you know it actually wasn't this call, or hold up, we missed this, it actually was this, they're correct. We've seen it happen, so they have to figure out some of the holes with more accountable because, like I said, yesterday, uh, you know, took away what should have been a great game that probably should have gone to overtime, and because of some of these flags late or missed calls late, we got robbed of that, and the players got robbed of that, 
And it's unfortunate for them because now people are looking at the league like it's a joke and the ref's a joke and you're compromising the game. So they have to find something to, to hold these refs a little bit more accountable going forward. I say that the refs should just face the media. They should be required to face the media. I don't know what legal loopholes they have to make that happen or even if it's possible, but they should go in front of the stand as well and make that certain call so you don't have situations like Joey Bosa looking out for them and finding them. You know what? I almost look at them as like the Supreme Court. It's like either half the country loves you or half the country wants to kill you. It's like there's no – Yeah, good point. there's no middle. There's no middle ground, and there's no safety and protections for these people. I mean, and again, I'm not advocating for anybody to like target these people. We just want accountability for consistency yeah. in their job. And I think the same kind of goes, you know, in a macro lens for um for uh for the judicial system because it's like if people just keep to their principles and they keep consistent with their verdicts and at least their output, I think that people would be a lot more willing to live with that, even if it's not what they agree with. I I also say this, you know. Ref being an official gets harder as Mm -hmm. the rules get more stringent. Yeah. And I think a big push on this, you know, has always been player safety. That's why there's more penalties and stuff like that, especially roughing the passer. But I'm sorry, you play football. We have all these stringent rules. Okay. And some, how many, multiple people in the last five weeks of the season went to the hospital. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Even Ladari Sneed got knocked out crazy in this game. It's a this is a tough sport, okay? So all these penalties, yeah, they protect players, hopefully. But at the same time, this is what you sign up for. We know the risks. Regardless if you have these rules or not, you're still having high impact, high, you know, high contact, high impact contact and stuff like that. People are gonna get hurt. Revert back to the old ways. It's that simple. Roughing the passer, you play quarterback. You wear head, you wear a helmet and shoulder pads. If you're so concerned with your quarterback getting hurt, then we should be playing flag football then, or they shouldn't be wearing a helmet and shoulder pads, and you're not allowed to hit him. Get rid of sacks then. Because it's aggravating. Chris Jones can tee up on Joe Burrow the entire game, but God forbid Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson, Trey Hendrickson hit, you know, literally the second coming of Jesus to the NFL and Pat Mahomes, it's a travesty and it's just aggravating. It's aggravating. There's no fairness in these rules based on star power. So in that case, they have to dumb them back to the old ways. I'm not saying bring back the horse collar, but I'm saying like a quarterback's going to get hit. It's the game. You know what? A lot of these quarterbacks might actually not get hurt if they got hit a little more and got a couple of calluses on their body. All right. And not, not even the avocado ice cream and, you know, Basically, you know, all pompous and everything like that with their beauty cleansers and stuff like that on their face. Okay. How about take a beating? Okay. And last a decade of the NFL. It's okay. You could do it. You're good. You guys are strong. You guys work out. You're conditioned. Take a hit. It's okay. Like, you know, we talk about all these refs, you know, all these calls. These calls are half these calls are bullshit. You know, a holding, you know, pass interference. Okay. All right. A guy grabbed your jersey. Okay. It's the, it's, it, it happens. All right. Like it has to can't like sometimes I think PR is a little too too hard. You know, if a guy's holding on someone's hip, these guys are cutting ninety degrees well, each way. You yeah. know, if you just have your arm out mid run and they hit you know, literally if a cornerback is running like this and a rece- and a receiver cuts across their arm, that's just in Wait, a mid run. Just quickly can you explain that for the ones who aren't watching if they run like what? Yeah. So basically, you know, when you run, right, you're moving your arms up and down, right? And when you're, you know, if especially the go route, right, or a stop and go, right, or some type of, uh, you know, they had one um, in, you know, in a simple route, you go like 10 yards up the field, you cut in like three yards into the field and then back up into a go route or a deep vertical, right? And that really jumbles a cornerback who's playing man coverage or press coverage. And he's in your face, he's riding, you know, he's taught, you know, he's to put his hand on your hip and follow you up that route. The minute you cross his face, your body's in the way. So he's automatically hitting into you. It's like, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense how there's a PI call on that. Because in my opinion, if you think about it like this, how many times do tight ends 
get called offensive pass interference when they run, you know, an out route and then the the slot runs a slant and it's basically like a pick. Well, if that's the case, you know what I mean? So it's like, and people flip out about that, but then they don't flip out when, you know, a receiver runs into a cornerback and they call PI or unnecessary unnecessary roughness or hands to the face. Like, think about it. You're doing press coverage, which you're taught to slam both your wrists into a guy's chest. If he makes one quick jab and he ducks his head, it's hitting him in the helmet. Whose fault is that? You're taught the correct technique. He just decided to run a different route. So, like, where are we going to start seeing leniency? It doesn't make sense to me. Like, all these rules I get, you know, you don't want this, that, the other thing to happen. But guess what? If a receiver gets hit in the head, he'll be okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was I was gonna say, and I messaged this how many times these guys since I've joined the show, right? For roughing the past, let's just say my example is it has to go back a little bit to the old ways, but it has to be an egregious hit. Like if you hit the quarterback dead in the knee, and I I I I know people might do that, they might not, but if you hit him dead in the knee or dead in the head, or you intentionally suplex them like the WWE move after you wrap them up. Or you like Trent Williams did yeah. in that. In yeah. that yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, like, in the fight, right? If you clearly wrap them up, spin them around, and throw them over your shoulder like it's nothing, yeah, you're going to get a flag called on you. But other than that, we have to stop with this stupid, I grab, I held on to you, I turned you around and brought you to the ground, and that's going to get thrown. It, like, it has to be an egregious, intentional try to harm you kind of move to throw that flag, right? So... That was the thing I wanted to say rough from the passer. And like I said, the whole people cannibal. Just look at the NBA referees page lately. And I know we talked about the LeBron file, but I've been hearing it for the last three mm-hmm. hours because of work. And I didn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But the NBA referee page was an official page. Literally tweeted after a missed call, right? This is the LeBron missed foul call. They said, like everyone else, referees make mistakes. We made one at the end of last night's game and is gut-wrenching for us. This play away heavily and caused sleepless nights. We strive to be the ref- best referees we can be. When have we seen that ever from the NFL? After a egregious missed call where they flat out, okay, you know, and I know LeBron was involved, so they might have that might have played into it. I'm not going to yeah, go dive deep dive that. into that. But they <laughs> said that for other, they said it for other missed calls, and they have a two minute report where they own up to their mistakes. And I think that that's what something we have to get. And I know, but that might not change anything. But like I said, there has to be something that we put more to hold these refs accountable because lately it's been terrible. And like I said, especially with rough in the past this year, my my big changes it can't it has to be something. And I know it's hard to judge, but it has to be something where you're intentionally really trying to hurt the quarterback. Like I said, dive for their knees, you're head hunting, or you're wrapping up and post wrap up where the whistle's blowing, they tell you the play's dead. You intentionally go and try to slam them into the ground, or you literally, you know, in a wrap, lift them up and try to hurl them. If you wrap them up and bring them to the ground normal, like a normal tackle, that should never, ever be called a rough in the passer. But like I said, if it's you wrap them up and they're kind of blowing the whistle, you wrap them up and you're throwing them over your shoulder and try to make them land on their head, then yeah, you can throw up in the passer there. But yeah, it's just tough with these refs and what to do going forward. But like I said, there has to be something a little more cattle because it's, especially this year, I feel I've gotten more texts where I'm like, where everyone's like, what the hell has gone with officiating compared to the years past? I'll make this one last point when it comes to, like, the roughing the passer. This is what I've always said, right? You have to understand physics to understand roughing the passer and the the actual understanding of the penalty, ready? So as a defensive end, you are about four four to five feet away from the center, right? Hmm. Just do the math. So that's a – it's called towards the mesh. You're doing a 45-degree diagonal line to the mesh, and that's where the quarterback and the running back are, right? Which means if you then bend, you bend over the hip of the, the tackle, you're bending now and curving up to try to hit, you know, the quarterback, you know, after five, five or seven-step drop back, right? If you grab the guy's hips and you're continually to go diagonal, right? Where are your legs? Are, where's the momentum that's going to put your circle down, right? And you're wrapping. Mm. Your arms are wrapped around his hips. Your momentum is pulling your legs around him counterclockwise if you're coming from the right side, right? Which means you're going to Maytag wash him around and he's going to spin. Like that is just a rough from the passer. That's yeah. just physics. It's yeah, called exactly. the way force goes and momentum. Yeah. Like, where is the common sense and science of these penalties? It's like we're a smart people. We understand this. You grab a guy at the hips, yeah. right? Or look at like a socket wrench, right? You ever grab a socket wrench and you spin the yeah. actual wrench around when you hold on to the socket part of it? That's what happens on a sack. 
So like, where he's roughing the passers? It's just like, you know, I understand they're the money makers to quarterbacks, but like DNs also make fifteen to twenty million a year too. So it doesn't really make sense to me. D tackles are about to be making fifty to twenty, if not more, starting soon. So yeah, there's that too. Hopefully someday the NFL officials and all professional officials will realize the impact they are making, the people they are upsetting, and hopefully it creates a legitimate change. So just final points. Was there anything that the that the Chiefs did that haven't been mentioned already that really impressed you in this game, despite all the referee influence in it? Whatever. I'm just I'm just gonna continue my Isaiah Pacheco shout out, even though I'm a Georgia yeah. fan, but just because I've seen him from Rutgers to here, it's pretty cool to see that him turn his career into what he is now as a seventh round draft choice. And now he's the starting running back for a team that's in the Super Bowl. Uh, just keep on doing what you're doing, Isaiah. I'm a big supporter of you. Uh, and I might get your Chiefs jersey if you continue up, uh, even though it's weird that he's wearing number 10, which Tyreek Hill's probably going to get it retired. And so that's the weird thing. But other than that, yeah, he's just still impressed me just of what he's done week in and week out. <laughs> taking the role as a seventh round draft pick to now being the starting uh, running back for the chiefs and holding his own and, you know, being a powerful runner has been, it's been fun to watch for me who sat in the stands and watched a lot of his games in his career. How about the chiefs, the, their defense, Chris Jones and everyone else, mm-hmm. especially Chris Jones. It's really Chris Jones. Defensive player of the year. And Easily then um, I messaged you guys. They made the Bengals O-line look like Joe Burrow in his rookie year, that yeah. first half, he was just yeah. getting absolutely destroyed every single play. I was like, oh boy, this is this is not going to end well. And Mahomes didn't look hurt at all. He did not get phased whatsoever. And yeah, yeah you, you really make a strong point. If he could win the second Super Bowl, man, if he retired already, he can uh, already go to Canton. Like, well, like yes, I don't mean to say that. Probably, yeah. Probably. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. If he wins another one, he he has himself locked in already. Listen, if Terrell, yeah. if, if, if Terrell if Terrell Davis could go into the whole thing <laughs> seven thousand rushing yards, um, anyone who has a great five year stretch could could make it to the Super Bowl. Tiki Barber, if, if, they, if they if they end, well, yeah. If you if you don't if you don't fall off and you end because of an injury, right? You, you could get in the Hall of Fame. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. So like Pat Mahomes out of nowhere disappeared, he'd be in the Hall of Fame tomorrow. It's just how it is. Um, I'll say this one thing um, for the Chiefs. You know, Pat Mahomes played a great game. Uh, Marquez uh, scaling uh, Valdez, yeah. you know, six catches, 111 yards and a touchdown. Good for him. Travis Kelsey, 78 yards and a tutty with that back injury. But outside of that, like, I'm sorry, but like this Chiefs offense is ass outside of all of those three. Mm. Like garbage. Like it's just so it's aggravating to me that the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl right now because they were leaps and bounds worse than the Cincinnati Bengals at almost every position. Like, it's cra- it's crazy to me because the way I think about it is Travis Kelsey's a receiver. Jamar Chase equals him out with Travis Kelsey. Jamar's so a stud. Higgins is better. Tyler Boyd is better. Trent Ir- Irwin is better. Hayden Hurst is better than a, mo- a couple of their pass catchers. Their running back room is better. Their quarterback and Pat Mahomes are close enough. And their defense is leaps and bounds better than – the Chiefs defense. So, so, like, you know, I don't know. I'm worried if I'm the Chiefs. I, I'm very worried from the Eagles because the Eagles are poised to absolutely paddywhack them, like, in any shape and form. Like, this is going to be a scary Super Bowl, in my opinion, if you're not prepared correctly. So they have to be careful. Totally agree. Definitely, definitely. Um, Alex Rinelli, is there anything that really stuck out for the Chiefs for you this this Sunday? This past no, you guys, you guys hit all the point, big points. I, I was impressed with Spagnuolo's defense, particularly with Chris Jones, and they're just, um, yeah, their ability to you know break through the line and expose the weaknesses for Cincinnati. I thought it was just great game, uh, game management, um, and great uh, scouting. Um, yeah, nothing more to add. Um, yeah, all I have right. One la- I have one last question before we wrap up. Yeah. If if Steve Spagnuolo wins another Super Bowl. Where are you guys going to start ranking him on top defensive coordinators of all time? No, no, no. He's a part of the ride. He's a part of the ride. He'll be. Uh, he would be a three-time Super Bowl champ if he wins on the Super Bowl. So Robert Ory won seven. <laughs> I think Steve Spagnola is up there with some of the best coordinators to do it, and doing it in two different conferences as well. He deserves a lot of credit for that. I might not put him oh, as the greatest, but especially. you could put him in the conversation that he's one of the greatest coordinators we've seen. Mm-hmm. That's fair. He's really good say- at not testing being a full-time head coach either. He's only done interims. Yes. Yeah. 
I would say maybe schematically not one of the best, but I would say he is the best at bargain shopping, making down defenses out of the pieces around Mm -hmm. him. Um, you know, he's not going to have a top defense, but he could take, you know, three good studs on defense and then put some average guys around them and like make it work. Yep. Um, do I trust him though against a top offense? No, but for a regular season DC, yeah, good for him. All right. Good stuff, gentlemen. Well, let's enjoy the week in between the Super Bowl. We'll see you in a week from now to preview it all. And then, um, We'll react two weeks after that, but uh, going down to the wire, the Chiefs and the Eagles. Those are your Super Bowl teams this year. How about that? Should be a lot of fun. So Alex Ranelia, Brian McKean, and Alex Young, thank you as always. And we will see you next week to preview Super Bowl 57. Yes. To the two Alexes and Brian. Great work as always, guys. I enjoyed chopping it up and talking all things conference championships. And we will see you three next week to talk about the Super Bowl. Plus, we'll throw in some other guests along the way. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasting platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show on ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com. And don't forget to check us out in the world of social media. Want Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast, Twitter at ProdComoPod, or on TikTok at Productive Conversations. So we will see you next week. We'll be back here on Tuesday to preview the Super Bowl once and for all. We've done a full season of NFL coverage, and it all leads to this crucial podcast, the preview podcast of the Super Bowl. This is our third Super Bowl we are covering on this podcast, and we're only getting better and better and better. Thank you for all your support this past weekend with all the real views and all the downloads and all the words of mouth for you people suggesting this show to others. We really, really appreciate it. And after this football season is over, as I said and promised a bunch of times, we'll get back into some regular programming, whether it's once or twice a week. We will talk all things across sports, news, entertainment, and culture. And I sa- and as I said before, we have at least five podcasts recorded and ready to release to the masses while also covering other great things in this awesome world. Especially as we approach our 200th episode this month, things are only getting better from here. So good times ahead. The future is bright. Now let's do our part and grind and make sure we keep our promise so have a wonderful week everybody i will see you on tuesday to preview the super bowl with the best nfl crew around so we will see you on tuesday don't forget to check in on your friends and family let's enjoy the week before the super bowl and then it's all hands on deck after that it's going to be a lot of fun my name is matt brown i am the host of the productive conversations podcast thank you to brian mckeon Alex Rodelio, Alex Young, and Alex DeJesus for all your work in this amazing thing called the Productive Conversations Podcast. And thank you, the greatest listeners and fans in the world, for making it all possible. All right, Super Bowl coverage coming up next week. See you then. Peace.